Welcome to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. Brought to you by Present Truth Ministry, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. Let's pray. Let's get into the Word. Father, thank you. Because I'm anointed to teach, thank you because your word is coming forth with power and with grace. And I pray this morning that you would instruct us in righteousness. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Right, so I, I want to do something in three parts. It's called my church and I, or my local church and I. But today we're focusing on understanding the church. Understanding the church. Most times, we haven't really understood the church of God, what the church is, the purpose, the function, why God instituted the church, the importance of the church. A website in the U.S. carried out a survey, and it was a Christian website, and it said, why is it that people don't like going to church? And they gave 10 reasons. The first one, they said, Christians are judgmental and negative. That's why we don't like going to church. Christians are judgmental and negative. Number two, some people say the church is boring. <laughs> Number three, some people say the church is exclusive. Number four, some say Christians are homophobic. Number five, some people say, well, I don't like organized religion. Number six, people say, well, churches are full of hypocrites. Number seven, very popular. The church just wants your money. <laughs> Number eight, some people say life is better without religion. Number nine, some people say Christians live on another planet. Number ten, I don't have time. These are the reasons people give. They don't come to the local church or they're not part of a local church. But you know what? In spite of all these negative things about the church, the church is still God's mind. The church is still God's mind. You see, we have not really understood the importance of the local church in the scheme of things or in the plan of God. And you know, when God institutes something, there is a purpose for it. There's a purpose for it. You know, oftentimes when I have the opportunity and the privilege to teach pastors and ministers about ministry and the work of the Lord, I'm amazed at how far-fetched some people are from the reality of what God has asked us to do. I'm amazed at how far, it's almost like God gives us something that is divine and we gradually, 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 gradually turn that thing almost to become our own image and likeness. We change the configuration. We change how it should be run. We change the way it should go until it suits us. But you see, but there is a reason God gave the church the way the church should be. You know, I posted something on social media the other day. I said, some people know so much about how the church should be, they know too much God cannot call them. You know, there are people sitting in the congregation who think they'll do a better job than me. I've already pastor of the church. I'll do this. If I already pastor of the church, you'll never be a pastor. Because it takes a level of humility and obedience and a servant heart for God to use you. 
Praise God. You know, for those of you who follow football, just, just pray for me. My club is going through wilderness period. I don't know what's going on. Okay. <laughs> you know, you almost feel like, man, get an old player. Get, ah, man, this guy has played before. And says all this stuff and put him in the driver's seat and then he messes up everything. Because it's always easy to lead from your chair. You know, it's easy to be a pastor from your house. Praise God. You know how some of us thought when we get married, man, I'm not going to quarrel with my wife. My children are going to hug me every day. We're going to eat. You know, we're going to have sex every day. Everything is going to just be fine. Marriage life, wow, wow. And two years down the line, you're like, so why am I married? So you must understand that even though the church doesn't look perfect, the church is God's perfect plan. The imperfections in the church does not mean it is an imperfect plan of God. It is God's perfect plan. Everybody say the local church is God's perfect plan. Praise God. The word church is the Greek word ecclesia. E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. It means a called out once. Some that have been called out or a gathering. Called out. The ecclesia of God. The called out ones. And I want to say this very loud and clear. As the church of the living God, we must not seek relevance from the world. We must never seek relevance from the world. And that is why you find out today that when we are doing our good deeds, we almost want the world to know so that the world can endorse us. Listen carefully. The world was never, to, was never in a position to endorse us. Our only endorsement comes from God. The world does not like the church. Regardless, there's nothing the church will do that the world will say good about it. And I want to say this very clear, especially for those of you in this part of the world. The church has probably done more for our nation than our government. The church has done more for orphans, done more for widows, done more for people than our government. Especially in this part of the world where we almost have a failed government in every sector. It is not the church's responsibility to buy transformer. God did not say, go ye into the world and make light happen. It's not the duty of the church. Can we do it? Yes, we can. Because we want to be responsible for our community. But you don't judge a church by how many transformers they can buy. Because if we're not careful, we will give the church a purpose that it did not have. Because the one question you ask yourself, how many churches in the U.S. are buying transformers? Are you following what I'm saying? Because it is one universal church. Praise God. And you almost have the church doing its secondary purpose instead of its primary purpose. 
So what does that mean? We don't get people born again now. We are more concerned about the good works we can do. We don't care even if people go to hell. And we are the only agency entrusted with the preaching of the gospel. Ask you a simple question. When last did any of you go out and get a soul saved? When last? Was the last time you got someone born again? But if I ask you when last did you buy food for someone, you raise your hand. When last did you pay somebody's school fees, you raise your hand. When last did you give clothes to someone, you, get, you raise your hand. So the question is, were you born again to give people clothes? Because that's what makes you look good in the eyes of men. Am I preaching? That's what makes you look good in the eyes of men. Not what God has asked you to do. So you can see a church that is not actively in the business of maturing saints, doing all the good works, and being applauded by men, but God is just wondering who sent you this. Are we still together? So the local church has its purpose in the eyes and in the mind of God. In the book of Matthew, chapter, eight, chapter 16, verse 18, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, and I don't want to be misquoted. I've not said all those things are wrong. I just said they are our secondary what? Purpose. Somebody say secondary purpose. All right. Imagine you send your son to school, and uh, you send your son to school, and then your son says, well, I like to play football. And he said, well, join the football club in the school. And then your, your son starts playing football all the time. <laughs> How many of you know that's not why you sent him to school? Football is extracurricular activity. Extra. Something you can add to what you're already doing. It's the same thing with the church. It's the same thing with the church. Do you know there are many people seated in church that don't even understand what salvation is? They don't know what salvation is. They don't understand the gospel. And it's amazing sometimes when you open the scripture and you start teaching believers, they start arguing with you. Why? Because in the real sense, they were never taught from the beginning the appreciation of the gospel. Imagine someone in church who spent a long time in church. <laughs> I mean, arguing things that have to do with premarital sex. Why? Because he has no clue what the gospel is. He has no clue what salvation is. He has no clue what even the sacrifice of becoming a believer is. And so for us, belonging to the church is just that you have a sticker of an organization you belong to. I am a triumphant member. <laughs> That's why I don't like printing stickers. Because those stickers can either implicate you positively or negatively. Praise God. You can have a sticker of a church, but you are not a member of the church of the living God. You need to be born again. You need to be saved. And the Lord Jesus needs to be your Lord before you are a member of the Lord's church. 
And these are fundamentals, but we must never throw the fundamentals away. Praise God. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, it says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, on which rock? The Roman Catholic will tell you that it was on Peter, who was the first pope, that God built the church. And that's, that's, that's very wrong. As wrong as it can be. Because we know from scriptures that Peter had a mother-in-law. Reverend Father Zumai. So that's disqualified him. His mother-in-law was even sick with fever. His mother-in-law had malaria. And I also say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. What rock was that? The revelation that Christ is the Son of the living God. I will build my church. I want you to see the personal ownership of the church. That word church is the word ecclesia, and it's in the New Testament alone, it appears 115 times. It appears 115 times. It says, I will build my church. So the first thing we must realize is that the church belongs to God. Now, I know that somehow the way we have run church is almost like a personal property. We'll deal with that some other day. So most people in the church, they see the church as your church. And that's why a lot of you are not committed. You see the church as your church. As my church. So, so if you have any problem against us, you stop coming to church. Because you feel, well, that's going to touch them. Or you, you stop your tights. And you almost make it look like a personal property. You know what? I'll tell you this. Eh? I don't say this life. I'll tell you this, right? As I'm here, this church belongs to all of us. And I'm this kind of person that I can pastor here. If I pastor, pastor to a point and nobody shows up, I will lock up and go and do something else. I will, not, I will not feel bad. Do you know why? It's not my church. I'll just make sure that on my own side, I'm doing the right things. I'm teaching the word. I'm maintaining the relationship. That's why when people leave this local assembly, except something we, we've done wrong on our part, I don't go about um, asking or begging people to come back. I never take my validation from how many people are seated in front of me. Because you know why? You can even get crowds without being obedient to God. And what some people want is to compromise as much as possible. And I'll say this, as we're doing this series of teachings, if you sense that the Lord doesn't want you here, you have my permission to leave. You need to find a local church where you can be fed and be blessed. And so these three weeks is a week to reevaluate whatever I'm teaching in, in light with God's word. And if you're not comfortable... Bless your darling heart. Find somewhere else. Because we're almost making it look like we have to beg people to serve God. No. A thousand times no. There is no one person who leaves the church or who joins the church that will make a difference in the church. The church belongs to God. Including me. If I choose to leave, it doesn't mean the church will collapse. I'm not the owner of the church. It is his church. From pastor to members, we must have this awesome sense of reverence for the fact that this is the Lord's church. Let me show you something that changed my mind about the church some years back. 
Let me show you something. Go to Acts chapter 9, verse 4. The day I read this, I was like, wow. Acts 9, 4. <laughs> you know, sometimes when things happen in the local church and I don't even have the wisdom of God to solve it, I just say, well, God, it's your church. Help us sort it out. From pastor to members, we must realize that it's the lost church. How many of you know the story of Saul? Acts chapter 9. Who was Saul persecuting? We're going to go there. As we Who was Saul persecuting? The church. Right, the church. I mean, the physical church in his region. Look at what the Lord Jesus said. You remember this story? I don't want us to read so far. Um, then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting who? Do you know the Lord Jesus did not say, why are you persecuting the church? What did Jesus say? Why are you persecuting me? Go to verse 5. And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Wow. So when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church, Jesus meant every word of it. So that even when Saul was persecuting the church, Jesus took a personal responsibility for it and says, you are persecuting me. Nobody ever fights against the church and succeeds. Check all of history. Nobody. No government. No government, no king, no individual fights against the church and excels. And we must be careful when it comes to the church. Because everybody is wise when it comes to church matters. Everybody is wise. Everybody knows what to do. Even the Lord spoke to us as teachers. He says, you who teach, your judgment is twice. Don't be in a hurry to be a pastor. <laughs> Praise God. Are we still together? We're looking at the church from the Bible, not from what we see. From the Bible. So you realize that the church and Jesus, they are one. There's no difference. No difference at all. So whatever you do to the church, you're doing to the Lord Jesus. However you serve, however you give, however you respond. You're, that's why the Lord talks about woe to those who cause others to stumble. You must be careful. As we deal with the factors of the local church or the issues around the local church. So the word church, it, it was first used in Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 in the New Testament. And the last usage was in Revelation 22 and verse 16. It means a gathering. It can also mean people who are gathered. For example, Acts 19.32. Let's have that quickly. Acts chapter 19 and verse 32. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. The word assembly there, in Acts chapter 19 and verse 32, is the word ecclesia. So it means to assemble. It means to assemble. If you go to verse 39, it was used there again. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. That word assembly again is ecclesia. It means a people gathered unto a curse. So the gathering of believers is the ecclesia of the Lord. Now, the last place it was used as an assembly is in verse 41. 
And when he said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So the assembly, the word assembly, the gathering together, means what? Ecclesia. Now, you must understand something very, very important. It is not this building that is the church. Right? Are we together? Are you here? Yes, sir. Okay. This building is not the church. The church is made up of you and me. So, for instance, it will not happen. This is just an example. For instance, uh, this can be a nightclub. And we meet here on Sunday morning, and they use it for club activities on Friday. Right? It doesn't mean it is the church. It is when we gather that becomes the church. Are you following what I'm saying? So the church is the individual. So actually, actually, well, we, we, we say that because we grew up saying it. I also say it. We're not supposed to say we are going to church. We don't go to church. We go for fellowship because we are the church. Yeah, like I said, we can still say it, but we all say it, but that's it. Right, because we are the church, so we are not going. You don't go where you already are. But when we come together, what do we come together for? Fellowship. Because we now are the church. So the building is not the church. That's why, that's why you realize that in the, Old Test, uh, in the New Testament, people met in other people's houses, and it was called the church in the house. It was not just house fellowship. Meeting, if once believers are gathered together, is already the church. See, if four or five believers gather together, it's a church. So, because our mind is that it's a church when it's opening prayer, sanctuary clip, uh, keepers, protocol, light. <laughs> no, no, no. It is not those lights that make up the church. It is the individuals who make up what? The church. Now, although the church is led by men, it is owned by God. Right? In Matthew chapter 16, we read very clearly. It says, I will build my church. Let me tell you this, right? If I don't leave this church rightly, the Lord will judge me for that. That is why sometimes when I also give to ministries, except I know that the ministry is doing something extremely very wrong, I don't really as such consider, oh, what are they doing with my money? Are they? You see, because when I give, because I'm giving to the church, so the Lord will hold the leadership of that church responsible for how the money is spent. Praise God. I mean, for the people who work with me, especially my brother who builds with me, sometimes he will just send me a message, oh, pastor, we're buying this. And I'm like, oh, but we have this or this. What's the reason? Even as small as something like 15,000, 20, 25,000, I'm asking why. Why are we buying it? Why can't we repair? Why can't we do this? Why don't we do this? You know the reason why? It's not because that will make any difference in our budget. But the Lord will judge me for how I use the money that people give. Are you following what I'm saying? Because it is not my church. I'm privileged to lead. So the Lord trusts me to lead. And I'll give account of everything, not just account of the souls, but also account of the finances. That is why sometimes it's amazing when you see preachers just live the way they want. You see, the Lord has a way of judging us. Praise God. 
Acts 20, verse 28. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Are you here? Say amen if you're here. Awesome. Acts 20, 28. Look at this. Therefore, take heed. New King James Version, please. Therefore, take heed to yourselves. God speaking to pastors. Take heed to yourselves. First, to yourselves. And to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So a man cannot make you an overseer over a church. It's the Holy Spirit that has to make you. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Can you see that? That the church was purchased by the blood of Jesus. And the Bible calls it the church of God. So even as pastors, we must be aware that this is the church of God. It was bought with a price. The Holy Spirit made you an overseer, but he made you an overseer to serve the people of God. And one of the things that began to happen to ministries, as the Lord began to reveal the truths of prosperity towards an increase, and we began to believe God for money and, and, and to do stuff and, and, and to just do what God is asking us to do, you find out that if care is not taken, you now get derailed and begin to judge yourself by how much prosperity you have as a sign that God has called you. No, that's not the sign that God has called you. The Lord will increase you. But the sign that God has called you is the fact that God entrusts you to be able to lead people's souls. You know, sometimes even as ministers, somebody does something and you're angry and you're like, oh no, I can't take it anymore. And you go before the Lord in prayer if you're insincere. Then the Lord begins to speak to you. Says, listen, that person was purchased by my blood. You need to walk in love towards them. You need to love them. You need to, <laughs> you need to, you see, because if we are to do ministry by our own strength and emotions, I mean, we will scatter church every day. You will see even pastors fighting in front of church. If you have to follow your emotions, you think it was easy for Jesus to know that Judas was stealing and he didn't do anything about it? Or you think Jesus didn't know Judas was stealing? Okay, you think Jesus did not know? He knew. But you observe that Jesus did not report Judas to any of the disciples. He didn't say, Peter, excuse me. There's something I'm observing about this Judas. I'm not, I'm not very clear, but the offering and the accounts are not balanced. He didn't, tell, he didn't tell Peter about it. He didn't tell anybody. And Judas was just, you, see, you think that you have bad people in church. How can you steal from Jesus? If Jesus finished teaching Simon on the mount, you collect like 5,000 shekels. And Jesus had, Jesus had heavy partners. You know, I've told you that. I'll teach on that when I teach on phenomenal. Some of you thought Jesus was just trekking, right? He would just carry his disciples and just be shouting all over the place. Whoa, to you people. Whoa, repent. The night will fall. You say, ah, where will we sleep? We say, let's just sleep here. Then Peter, everybody will sleep. Then the next day, you thought Jesus was a vagabond, just trekking and shouting, repent, repent. Stop watching all those films. You thought that was what Jesus was living. Jesus had a house. First disciples of John, they followed him to his house and they didn't return to John the Baptist again. Go and study it. 
So can we follow you? He said, let's see where you are staying. They followed him to his house. They entered. They said, ah, no, 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 no. Ah, can't, can't go to the wilderness now. <laughs> can't go to the wilderness. I said, go and meet your spiritual father. I said, no, from today you are a father. We will save you. And they, they didn't follow John again. They just left. Tired eating locusts and white honey. And shouting, repent, whoa, repent, whoa, repent, whoa. They saw Jesus say, no, no, we'll be cleaning this house for you. Just go and preach right here. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 3, the Bible says, The wife of Chusa, who works in Herod Palace, they were ministering substance to Jesus, not crumbs. So it is like saying the wife, in fact, the message translation says, the wife of Herod's economic advisor. So it's it, like in our modern day, it's like the wife of somebody working in Asorok, right, was a partner to Jesus. So Jesus was fully funded. And it was substance, not crump. Substance. That's what we were giving to Jesus. Heavy money. Judas was stealing. So, you see, the imperfection of the church does not mean it is not God's plan. Are you following what I'm saying? But you see, Jesus, Jesus walked, in, walked in love towards Judas. But the question is, how did Judas end up? You are stealing from the church purse. You're stealing from Jesus. That money was not still enough. You sold him. Can you imagine the discussion? It's like, this Jesus is available. It's available for healing. No, say no, for safe, for safe. <laughs> Say how much? Say 45, 45 shekels. Say this is the original Jesus, the one that came from heaven. That's what I have. This is not about Jesus. I mean, I'm hoping, I was I have many questions to ask Jesus. Was he thinking that Jesus would disappear or something? And the guy prized Jesus. Say, okay, how much like, say 30. Say, no, 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 no. 30 is too small. Now, this is Jesus we're talking. <laughs> and later, they agreed for 30. And the guy went out, collected the money, and sold the master. Say, the one, once I kiss him, just... You will ask yourself, after all the money you have stolen, was it not enough? Sin never knows no end. You think if somebody commits adultery, his conscience will prick him. No, he will do that, do that, do that, until he will have a baby outside and destroy the marriage that God has given to him. And you realize at the end of his life, for one minute of pleasure, his home is destroyed forever. Sin does not pay good. Don't be wiser than God. If God says something is bad, I agree with him. Are you following what I'm saying? That same money Judas was looking for led to his destruction. How do you factor the fact? I don't know why I'm saying this, but maybe it'll help someone. How do you factor into history that a man who walked with Jesus committed suicide? What message did he not hear? What miracles did he not see? What did Judas not experience? He was not a pastor of a local church. He walked with Jesus himself. But how was his end? He committed suicide. It's not your pastor who determines how you end up. It is your choices. You can be under the best pastor in the world and be a criminal. Are you hearing what I'm saying? My role is to teach you. What you do with your life is between you and God. God, is, God will only hold me accountable if I'm teaching you, if my teachings is leading you to sin. But if my teachings are not leading you to sin, honestly, whatever choice you make with your life is between you and God. Because no matter who pastor Judas, the man still stole. And he was there when Jesus was teaching, beware of covetousness. Say, yes, sir, yes, sir, we are beware. We are beware. He will still steal that day. So some 
Say, hey, well, look at your church. Look at your members. No, it's not look at my members. You look at the teaching. The members, you look at them based on their choices. The fact that you come to KDCC doesn't mean you're the most righteous person on the island. You can be the most wicked. And that's the truth. So how do you judge a minister? Get his teachings and listen to him. Because you can choose to harden your heart. That, you see, this is the truth we pastors don't want to tell ourselves. It is the truth. You can choose to harden your heart. You can choose not to listen. You know, I can be teaching and you are writing. And maybe you are composing a poem. And I, in my mind, I say, these people, they take note. It's your choice. You can be chatting. It's your choice. God is not going to judge me for what you do with your time while listening to me. That's why even when Jesus finished teaching, what did he say? He that has ear, let him hear. Because Jesus knew that many were not hearing. In fact, some followed him for bread and fish. That's Jesus. Jesus will finish preaching and say, he that has ear, let him hear. Jesus, you will expect that when Jesus preached, everybody will obey. No. On the day of Pentecost, how many people were in the upper room? 120. Do you realize that the thousands of people that ate bread, that ate fish, that were on the mountain, that followed him, they didn't show up. Most pastors die as lonely people because people walk away from them towards the end of their life. Ask Paul, ask Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross, it was only John and his mother that was there. Peter took off. Thomas died. <laughs> Thomas was nowhere to be found. All the people Jesus healed, they took off. As a pastor, you must train yourself that your greatest comfort is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Are we still together? So God owns the church. God owns the church. Okay, Luke 8.3. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna and many others who were contributing their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus was not always multiplying money. He had ministry partners. I'll spend a full Sunday to teach on ministry partnership, understanding that there is no ministry that grows without people financially supporting that ministry. And one of your roles in the local church is to partner with your local church to fulfill God's purpose. We'll talk about that. 1 Corinthians 1-2, we're talking about God's ownership of the church, even though it is led by men. 1 Corinthians 1-2. Even though the church is led by men, it is owned by God. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, call to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Look at that scripture. This scripture is very loaded. Number one, it says to the church of God, which is Corinth. So he is referring to a local church in a place called Corinth. But he starts by referring to that local church as what? The church of God. So it's like saying through the church of God at Bonny Island or in Bonny Island. Now who are members of that church? To those who are sanctified where? In Christ Jesus. Called to what? Be saints. With all who were in every place. Meaning that this church is bigger than just the church in Corinth. So every place where they call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is the church of God. 
Are we together? So what I'm trying to ex explain by this scripture, number one, the church belongs to God. Number two, the church must have a local expression. So you cannot say you are a member of a live stream church, that you are streaming life. <laughs> are you hearing what I'm saying? Because that's where we're going now. People don't come to church anymore. They want to stream life. What's your church? We meet on WhatsApp. Sunday nights. Those things are good. They must not take the place of our gathering. That's very important. Because you know why? You know, some, God, is, God is all wise. Sometimes you ask yourself, why did, why did the scripture write in the book of Hebrews who deal with that tomorrow when it says, forsake not the gathering of yourself together? You imagine, why would God say that? But I'm sure he knew we'll get to 2019. There is a place for the local expression of a meeting together, of physical interaction. Praise the name of the Lord. The local church in every region, it's God's plan for that region. Praise the name of Jesus. Then he says, so the saints were in every place. That means we have the universal church, which is made up of the whole body of Christ. And then we have the local expression of the church. Now, we are joined to the church by one spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.17. We are joined to the church by one spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17. One spirit joins us. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And if you are one spirit with God, what that means is you are one spirit with any other member who has joined himself to that body. Am I right? Let me explain this to you. As believers, we are supposed to be the closest. I've, I've practiced that in, in my life. I've practiced that in my life. When the truths of the new creation began to dawn in my spirit very strongly, I realized that I am closer to believers and brothers and sisters who are not even from my region as opposed to my own family members. There are people that I check on every day just to make sure how they're doing. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I just remember, oh, I have a sister. That reality is so strong. And it's something we need to appreciate. But what began to happen, and I'll deal with that when I talk about relationship with one another, maybe next Sunday, is we began to allow the spirit of offense to get into our midst. And we began to have these divisive teachings. People trying to destroy you. People trying to destroy you. And you can have one person, people coming to the same church, and they don't talk to each other. And yet, they call themselves members of one body. You know, I'll tell people that work with me, I can tolerate everything in my life. I can't tolerate strife. I can't. I can't. And that's why, I'll say it again, sorry for the emphasis. If you're not comfortable with this local church, instead of causing strife and gossip and things you're not happy about, check next door. 1 Corinthians 1-2 tells us the place where they call every place. He said every place. That means there are churches everywhere. You must not be in Corinth. Because there's no need getting strife into a local house. When you get strife into a local house, the Bible says all kinds of evil things will happen. You open a door for the enemy when you get into strife. 
Listen, it's even better we tolerate sin and help people overcome sin than allow strife into our midst. Because you know the sin we strive, everybody now lives in pretense. Oh, hallelujah. Holy Spirit just touched me. How oh, Holy Spirit just touched me. How oh, Holy Spirit just touched me. The Holy Spirit is far from everybody. And you don't need that. See, there's no one offense that is what's stopping your blessing. Not one. <laughs> Are you following this? Praise God. And the Lord, teach, the Lord teaches us how to deal with offenses. I'll do that next Sunday in the body of Christ. Because as far as people are gathered, there will be issues. Are, are you following me? Because we're all from different homes, different backgrounds. Yeah, where, where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Perfect. We're from different places. We have different personalities. There are those who are loud. There are those who are, But you know what? As we listen to the word of God, the word of God will change us. Praise God. So, we are now new creation in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. New creation in Christ Jesus. So, the Lord has recreated us and we are now part of a new body, which is now called what? The body of Christ. That's the church. The church is the body of Christ. We are now the visible group that have the eternal life of God. Colossians 3 verse 4 says, Christ is our life. So what that means is Christ has become our life. In the local church, Christ is now our life. So we don't even... <laughs> oh, praise God. You know, I, I was reading something... And someone was saying, well, I don't know why there's so much attack against the church. Sometimes I wonder, has the church ever done something good for us? You know, I, 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 some days I sit back and I'm like, God, I thank you that I'm born again. When I watch people's life. You know, I was telling my wife the other day, I said, I'm so grateful that one of the first lessons we were taught is how to walk in love. Sometimes when I hear people talk, I'm amazed at the level of offense, the level of hatred, the level of bitterness. And I'm like, how can one individual carry all of these in your heart? How do you even pray? How do you hear from God? <laughs> you know, one day, sad story, but true. And I want to share these stories with you so you also know we pastors have our own challenges. One day, a minister met me. He was at the airport. And he says, oh, he wants to go preach somewhere in South Africa. That was when the BVN crisis came. He could not withdraw money and this and this and this and this. But he needs to go and preach right now. Sends me the flyer. So I sent him the money for the ticket. So he bought the ticket. He said, when he comes back, he's going to pay me. So finished preaching, got back. And when he got back, the first week, nothing so I sent him a message. Ah, welcome, sir. And you know that welcome, sir, is actually saying, remember my money. That's the Greek word for that welcome, sir. Remember my money. <laughs> and then he sends me a message back that, oh, while he was away, the money wanted to use to pay me. His wife had to withdraw the money. That's a lie, first of all, because you said your BVN had issues. That's why you couldn't withdraw money. Now, when you were away, the BVN was sorted. Man of God. 
So later, he managed to pay me some money out of it. Six months, seven months, one year, one and a half year. I mean, I see the guys posting programs on Facebook, I get angry. <laughs> you just see seven days of glory. I'm like, pay me my money, pay me my money. <laughs> so one day I was before the Lord in prayer, and the Lord says, you know what, that, that thing is stopping you. The guy did something wrong, but you're now, I mean, obviously you're angry. Okay, so I called him. Hey, you see what? Don't worry about that. Ah, no, ah, man of God. Even if it takes 10 years, I will pay you in my mind. If I slap you from here, <laughs> 10 years, am I doing uh, business? Do you, do you realize that? But you know what? <laughs> I had to let it go. Was it painful? Yes. Was his actions right? No. Is the Lord going to judge him for that? Capital, yes. <laughs> but you know what? For my own good and for my own blessing, I had to walk in love. That's the painful part of Christianity. In his eyes, like that guy is a foolish guy. You know, sometimes when we make the choices of God's word, we look very foolish. They don't look like wise choices. That is why Christianity is tough. So I didn't take his picture and say, oh God, fire, thunder, lightning. No, no. Once you start doing that, you are not a herbalist. You are not a saint. You are not born again. Do, do you realize that? Has the Lord blessed me more than that? Absolutely yes. Did he try to borrow money from me again? Yes. What did I tell him? No. Are we still friends? No. Are we open to be friends in future? No. <laughs> Until he pays me my money. Now he's again. But you realize that even as ministers, we have to deal with people's nature. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? So you realize that the church is not perfect. But he calls us saints. So why do we come to church every Sunday? Working on ourselves. We hear a word, we make an adjustment. We hear this word, we make an adjustment. We hear this word, we make an adjustment. And I want to say this to you. If you're owing anybody, go and pay them. Don't think the Lord is going to ask you, ask them to forgive you. That's my own dealing with God. All right? A believer should not owe. And if you're owing people you cannot pay, call them. And say, listen, I'm struggling to pay this debt, but I will pay you. Is that okay? And don't just say, Pastor, that's a word of knowledge for me. I'm believing they will forgive me. No, go and pay. Okay. So the church is described as a body. We belong to this body when we are genuinely born again and we accept the Lordship of Jesus. So immediately a man is born again, he's part of the body. When you say you want to attend a membership class to be part of a local church, that is just based on what the local church designs for its committed members. The day you are born again, you're already part of the church. Are you here? Yes, when the thief on the cross met Jesus and said, listen, I know you're the Christ. When you don't forget me in paradise, what did Jesus tell him? He says, today, you'll be with me. Paradise. There was no foundation class. He didn't sign any form. He didn't buy a sticker. He didn't join a new members class today. Because salvation instantly makes you a member of the church. 
So when you now go to different local expressions, or people now say, oh, well, workers have to tie their hair this way, uh, this one have to tie, you know, and then sometimes it gets too complex. I've always told people, when, if salvation is easy, don't make people joining the local assembly too complex. Just make it simplified. Why? As people come, they will grow. You see, let me tell you something, and you know, people, it's a bit of a challenge with me, but I just feel that the church is not as complex sometimes as we make it. Let me explain something with the human nature. You know, if, we, if you have steps here, I mean, there are ways you should train your ministers and everything, but if we have many steps here, if you do this, you become this, do this, you become a deacon, do this, become a deacon, do this, become a deacon. You know, people will just come and understand the system and study the system, and in one year, they are deacons, and their heart is not on the work. You know, some people are very smart, and there are people who might have a heart for the work, but they are not very forward. And you see, that system can disenfranchise them. That is why a minister must be obedient to the spirit. See, Saul was born again. And, I mean, it didn't take that man long. God committed to him the truths of the new creation and wrote to third of the New Testament. He, in fact, did not work with Jesus. Nobody would have qualified Paul. In fact, when they chose in the book of Acts, you know what? They said anybody to replace Paul sorry, to replace Judas should be somebody who had accompanied with us, who had worked with us. That means the first qualification the apostles gave to select the replacement of Judas, Paul was disqualified from the first one because Paul never worked with Jesus. So the true Lord, the Lord fell on Matthias. That's the only time his name appeared. And God just said, don't worry, you have thrown your lot, you have done your membership class. I'm choosing my own apostle. God appeared to the man in Damascus. I said, listen, I've chosen you for this purpose. The church refused to accept him. Barnabas took him, introduced him. They were still scared of him. And then he got the truth of the new creation. And then Peter was hypocritical. When he sees the Gentiles, he will, when he sees the Jews, he will, uh, Paul accosted the guy. Why are you behaving like this? When you see the Gentiles, you say, okay. when you see the Jews, ah. And Paul took him up. Paul had no criteria to take Peter up. Number one, he didn't work with Jesus. Number two, he was not caught from fishing. But you see, that's how God works. That's why you see that sometimes the people you don't like the most are the people God uses the most. Because your hatred and your likeness has nothing in the divine plan of God. You're just wasting your time. Just wasting your time. Are you following what I'm saying? That's why a minister must never play to the crowd. Never play to the crowd. It will kill you. Because the same crowd that shouts hallelujah today and hosanna is the same crowd that will say crucify him. So your eyes must be on Jesus. Let the crowd shout what they like. Keep your eyes on Jesus. So that the day they will crucify you, God will raise you up. Because they will crucify you. Are you understanding what I'm saying? It's the same thing with the local church. You're going to come into the local church. <laughs> I'll talk about that next Sunday. Two sisters were quarreling in the local church, and Paul had to write to them. He said, please tell them to settle their differences. It's in the Bible. <laughs> Say those two sisters. He said, please, please, eh? tell them to calm down. They were quarreling. In the book of Ephesians, there, was, there were people who were stealing in the church, and Paul says, if you steal, don't steal anymore. <laughs> it's in the Bible. So you realize that there is no imperfection that was not captured in scriptures. Praise God. But yet, the local church is God's perfect plan. 
That is why if we are all listening to God and obeying God, we can have a perfect church. Because where there's imperfection in your brother, the Lord will speak to you and you will be the one to stand strong. You see, one of the things we should learn to do when we see imperfection in our church and in our brothers is to pray. Pray that the Lord will help them. Pray that the Lord will cause their eyes to see. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay. Now, so the early church met from house to house. Acts chapter 5, verse 42. And one of the reasons they met from house to house, I'll say this very clearly, is because there was persecution. They could not meet in an open place like this. So they met from house to house. And then when they were meeting in people's homes, it was called the church. So let me give you four examples. Number one. I said the church met from house to house, Acts 5.42. But then when they were meeting in other people's home, it was called the church. Uh, let's go to Colossians 4.15. You will see the house of Nymphas. Colossians 4.15. There was a church that met in the house of Nymphas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphas and the church that is in his house. So when the church met in, when the believers gathered in his house, it was called the church where? In the house of Nympha. All right. Philemon 1-2. There was a church that met in the house of Philemon. Philemon chapter 1 and verse 2. There was a church that met in the house of Philemon. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go have a story. To the beloved Apia, Archippus, and our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Go to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19. There was a church in the house of Aquila and Priscilla. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Now, some people say, well... Ah, we should not meet in organized buildings. We should now start meeting in people's houses. You know, meeting together in one place, that's not the original way God designed it. Well, the church, two things. Number one, someone who speaks like that lacks a knowledge of church history. It's, it's just ignorance, being very loud. The reason they couldn't meet in central places, number one, Judaism at that time was still meeting in the synagogue and in the temples. So Christianity at the beginning was side by side by Judaism. So there were still meetings in the temple. So if you read the book of Acts, you realize that sometimes Paul even went to the temples to preach, went to the synagogue, and went to the houses. There was a difference between the temple and the synagogue. The difference between the temple and the synagogue very clearly was, if you remember what we are studying in the book of Malachi, when they came back from exile, some of the Jews were married to, to outsiders. So the Jews felt those ones were not pure, pure Jews. <laughs> so they didn't allow them like into the synagogue. So the synagogue, you had Jews that were not intermarried and then in temple. That's, well, so that's why sometimes you find the phrase temple and synagogue. Sometimes you see temple and synagogue. You know, so of course, the Jews couldn't go out now. The Christians now, you, you must realize something. Where Christianity started, it was not an acceptable religion. So they couldn't go out now rent a place and say Priscilla Christian Center International. They'll just kill them. So they had to meet in the house, and of course, it was now referred to church where? In the house. Just imagine if we all had to meet in the house. Which person's house? Would you, would you, would you put all of us? Praise God. Now, house fellowship also can take that mode. It's also church in the house. Praise God. All right. Uh, 
No one develops, a man by Donald Whitney said this, no one develops proper spiritual symmetry just by listening to Christian radio, watching Christian television, or reading Christian books. You cannot get this kind of maturity merely by participating in a group Bible study. Unless you're an active part of a local church, your Christian life and ministry will be imbalanced. We must be part of a local church. And listen to this. Now that you get this book on the Ministry of Helps, being part of a local church doesn't mean just standing by and doing nothing. You will not grow that way. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You will not grow that way. And the reason some of you don't serve is a very funny reason. In my former church, that's how I was serving. I was just serving. I was just serving. Until they did me something. And I said, before God and man, I will not serve anywhere again. I will just sit down. I will just hear. Yeah, I will just go to my house. You are ignorant. You know what that means? You haven't overcome that offense. You're still offended. Are you following this? Listen, I'll tell you this, right? I grew up in a pastor's house. Don't think that we pastors are not hot. Don't think so. Don't think so. Don't think, so. Don't think I don't get offended. Don't think I don't get angry. Don't think I have not considered I won't pastor here again. Don't think so. And you know with me, I know my judgment is with God. I can pack my family and say I'm not doing it again. There's nothing you will do. You are not the one that employed me. That's the truth. There's nothing you will do. You can say what you want to say. I leave my judgment to God. Don't think we have not considered those options. You know what Paul said? (laughs) Paul talked about Alexander the coppersmith. You know what Paul said? He said, Alexander the coppersmith, he said, he has done me much evil. He said, may the Lord repay him. (laughs) He could not hold himself. He said, that man, he has done me evil. When Paul wrestled with the beast of Ephesus, you, you think it was evil spirit? It was not evil spirit, it was men who resisted his ministry, stood against his ministry. So, if we go by the hearts we have also felt, even my dad, who's been in ministry, I know people we my dad spent years helping, mentoring, counseling, doing all of this, doing all of this, and them. Some of those will be the ones that will spread all kinds of false rumors about him. You know, I think most people have come to my office and asked me to sign guarantee for something also, and I told you, told you I don't sign guarantee. And some people thought, 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 oh, well, he's not signing guarantee. Pastor does not want us. My father has gone to, to sell before because he signed guarantee for a church member. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, it's a true story. The guy wanted to do kerosene business and came to my dad. Ah, my dad wanted members to say, and then he signed, and then... Two business went by and then my dad was locked up. Uh-huh. You are calm now. <laughs> I, my dad might have body that can stay in cell. I don't. Do you understand? So when you now come and say, oh, pastor, just sign this guarantee. And I say, I'm not signing. It's not a scriptural guideline. It's a cell-avoiding guideline. <laughs> That's the reason. Ah, we not do like that. I will not do. I'm here forever. Is a lie. I've heard, I've heard I'm here forever many times. And the next month, they disappear. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you know that can prevent me from doing ministry? 
I'll never be a pastor. But you see, every day we have to learn to overcome these hearts and be part of a local church. It's like having a body and the legs say, listen, you people, the last time I cut onions, I, you cut my hand. The other time I cut tomatoes, you cut my hand. I'm not cutting anything for you people again. You know, if your right hand says it's not cutting again, how many of you know you'll die of hunger? Especially women, right? How many times have you been hot in the kitchen? But what do you do? You still go, but you go with more what? Wisdom. It's the same thing with the local church. Things will happen. But then we we overcome them. We grow over them. And then we become better. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay, let's see how we can wrap up in five minutes. Key things about the New Testament church. Number one, their numbers were known. Their numbers were known. In Acts chapter 1 verse 15, Acts chapter 2 verse 41, Acts chapter 4 verse 4, you realize that people, the number of people were known. They would say 3,000, 2,000, 5,000, 10,000. So you realize that as a local church, that's why we take database. We must know how many we are. Praise the name of the Lord. So their numbers were known. That means it was a defined group. Number two, the roles were kept. Give me 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 9. Somebody getting blessed today. 1 Timothy 5, 9. I want to, I might take time to explain this, but look at this. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man. Paul said, if a widow is under 60 years, don't add them to the welfare group. And I'll teach you, I'll teach next Sunday about welfare. Because, you know, sometimes you just think once in the local church, once you're a member of a church, as they take the offering on Sunday, then after service, we should do distribution. Pastor, I don't have shoe. Okay, take it. And then you say, that man is good. He's just giving, 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 giving. He's a foolish man. There are criteria for who, he says, if this man, if this woman is not less than 60, don't, don't, let her go and look for something to do. Paul was clear. Paul was clear. Because the church should do welfare, but the church must not encourage learned helplessness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The church can't be paying your rent every year. It means something is wrong. You are either not learning or something is wrong. And let me tell you this. Clear. Everybody must not stay in Bonnie. If things are too tough, go home. Ah, Pastor, what am I going home to do? When you go there, you will find what to do. You can't know from here. I mean, there's one guy I like so much. It was a couple. They came to church very, I mean, they used to come from workers' camp, very dedicated people, but things were tough for them. So one day I sat them. I said, listen, you know this thing is not sustainable. Why don't you go home? Yeah, you don't have money to go. We have money. We can give you money to go home. And we saw them out. They went home. They're doing very well now. For some of you, if you go home, you won't pay rent anymore. And, but when I go home, what will I tell them? Tell them you have come. <laughs> it's just the pride of life. You can't be here suffering with your children, suffering with your wife, suffering with your husband. You don't know what you're going to eat. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Your kids can't go to school. And you're blaming the pastor, you're blaming the church, you're blaming the government. Some of you even left home.
to come here. Well, I know all of you are waiting for train seven now, so maybe after train seven we can have that conversation. Everybody just like, Lord, this is it. Okay, say, Pastor, our breakthrough is near. You say we should go home. Don't worry, stay. <laughs> because even me, I want tight also, so just stay, please. When you pay that batch of tight, let me collect all the money I've given you for welfare, then you can go. All right, so, 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 so there was a number, so they numbered people. They had a number, they had accounts. Praise God. All right. Servants were selected. Acts chapter 6, verse 2 to 5. Servants were selected. So out of everybody in the church, some people were selected to lead. What does that mean? Not everybody can lead. There was a criteria for leadership. We'll look at that. There was a criteria. Come on, can we do that quickly? Let's do that quickly. Acts 6, guys. Verse 2. Acts 6, 2. Let's do that quickly. In case I forget. Are you learning something this morning? Say amen if you are. Praise God. All right. Acts verse 2, guys. Can we do that? Then the 12 summoned the multitude of disciples. It's not disciples. But you know what caused this problem in Acts chapter 6? Some widows came to complain. Look at it. Verse 1 is there. Now in those days when the number of disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. But you realize that Paul gave a criteria of the widows that should be in this number. That's why we read, read verse Timothy, right? Now, you realize that a complaint... See, as church grows, complaints will grow. Praise God. I remember one time... Someone met me. So, Pastor, you're not visiting like you used to visit before. I said, listen, wait, 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 wait. Technically, we're about 200 in this church. Technically. That's if everybody comes to church. But even if everybody doesn't come to church, our lowest attendance is like 150, 160. Ask yourself, how can I visit 160 people? How? Even you consider now. <laughs> if you were the pastor, will you do it? And then I now say, oh, we've trained people to visit you. He said, no, the man of God is proud. Are you following what I'm saying? You see, as the church grows, we must all accept, and that is why a lot of churches don't grow. Because the more the church is growing, the more sometimes certain things, it's not like they were in the beginning. And people want it to always be that way. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? But if you, if you want growth, complaints will arise. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? There was a time when we knew everybody. Right? There's a time where I don't even know everybody. And then, when we knew everybody, you could recommend people. And say, oh, this guy comes. Oh, I know this guy. I know this guy. A time comes, you can't recommend everybody. Because you don't even know them. I mean, know them well to recommend them. Are, are you following what I'm saying? So, as the, the, the church grows, complaints will come. But let's go on. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek among you from... Seek out from among you. Seven men of what? Number one is what? Good reputation. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Who am I point of after this business? So there was a criteria for those who are to lead. So uh, leadership was selected. People were selected. So as a church grows, people will be placed over roles. And one of the key things is your reputation. What do people say about you? That's very important. Okay. Uh, discipline was practiced. First Corinthians chapter five, verse twelve to thirteen. Discipline was practiced. This was some. This is something that we are not. We are not doing again in church, which we need to restore quickly. First Corinthians five twelve and thirteen. Discipline. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? Verse thirteen. 
But those who are outside, God judges, therefore put away from yourself the evil person. Now, within the local church, discipline must be practiced. And I want to say this. I want to say this. Listen, and I say this from a pastoral heart and I say this from a pure heart with, with all the love I can muster, but I have to say it. You realize that when we're growing up and someone was caught fornication, had a baby out of wedlock or something and they came to church, right? Thank God daddy is here today, older generation. Don't put the person at the back. The person will sit at the back. In some churches, they will not even receive your offering. And they'll give you that suspension for two, three months and then restore you back. And people served that suspension, and there was sanity amongst us. But look at us today. I mean, there are people who will fight you for, for, for getting pregnant before wedlock and refusing to marry them. Even there are churches who don't care. They'll just say, let's do it quickly, let's do it quickly, let's do it quickly. And let me tell you something, perversion grows. So when you now find pastors sleeping with members, all kinds of things happening, I say, how did we get here? I've just shown you how we got there. Every little sin you allow, the next person gains confidence. The next person gains confidence. The ne- so at a point, it is almost a culture. So you, have, you even hear somebody sitting with you in the office and say, Pastor, it's just two months. The person is pregnant, so he says, it's just two months. <laughs> but you're pregnant. Hey, the other church, they do four and a half. My own is two. Meaning that you are better off. Do you understand? And what we're talking about here is a clear case of fornication. And you're not even dealing with that. And then by the time we start dealing with that issue, you now start shouting, who is perfect? Who is righteous? David told me of one pastor, who impregnated one guy in, uh, in Abuja. And yeah, they posted him to another branch. You see, is that your problem? You can't use another person's sin to justify your own, whether it was committed by a pastor or a pope. Sin is sin, and it has its judgment. We must allow the church discipline us again. Can I tell you something as a pastor in this modern age? The most difficult thing we have in this age is you can't rebuke any member. And how do I know that? How many of you seated here today have I told that you have done something wrong? For some of you, you've been with me for six years. I've never told you you have done something wrong. I rather I'm the one that apologizes to you when you're angry. Ah, why did you not come to church? So I'm not happy. I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> and and you, think, you think we are doing ourselves good. No, that is truth. You know I'll tell you the truth. There, there's nothing. I'll tell you. How many of you have I said this thing you did is wrong? Maybe one or two people. Because if I tell you it's wrong now, I won't, you won't finish this series. The next day I said, the Spirit of God was just telling me it's time to move. When is October 13th? Move rightward. And yeah, you join my neighbor here. <laughs> and the way they rebuke you there, you will join here. And that's why most of you have been in seven churches. Because once there's rebuke, you change. Once you will never grow that way. If you are never corrected, you will never grow. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Open yourself up for what? Correction. It is the, that is how we train you in the church. That's how the church trains its members. You are trained by correction. You are trained by discipline. You are trained by suspension. They suspend you and you are still faithful. You don't go and change another church. You say because whatever is not confronted, it will, it will happen in that church. So you must confront it. Are you following this? 
Then they don't used to receive your offering when they suspend you. Here we can collect the offering and you are in suspension for all the good times you have been good collecting the offering. All right. But again, sometimes people went to the extreme. So Paul, I think I've taught that here in the other church. When Paul says, let's, let's not be ignorant that Satan take, take um, let's not be ignorant, we're not ignorant of the devices of the enemy. Let Satan take advantage of us. He was not talking about principalities and powers. He was talking about, about a brother that was suspended and was not returned back into the church on time and says, if we're not careful, Satan will take advantage of that and destroy that brother. So when you suspend somebody in church, you don't suspend them to embarrass them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So if something happens in church like this and I want to deal with it, I can deal with it in my office. I can't now come and publicly disgrace somebody, put them somewhere. You see, because when that person repents, in your mind, that image will not leave. So when you're telling your wife, oh, this boy is the one that impregnated uh, that girl. I was like, oh, that one. Even if it is 10 years, that's the one that will make you remember. Are you following what I'm saying? And in that way, the brother can just decide, instead of being disgraced like this, let me just live this life. They have already condemned me. Satan has taken advantage of us, both the church and the brother. So we don't, we don't, con we don't, we don't discipline people and discipline them out of the church. We do it with love. So that when they are restored, they still have a clean slate to walk before God. Because the challenge is this, we only discipline external sins. Right? So somebody who commits fornication and somebody who is angry, which sin is higher? <laughs> Anger. Both of them. No sin is higher than any sin. <laughs> Every sin is the same, right? What I'm trying to say is that as a pastor, I might not be able to suspend you for anger because I can't see it. But I might be able to suspend somebody who got a sister pregnant because I can see it. So you understand that in that sense also, I cannot punish this person extreme. Because there are many sins that I don't even see. And in fact, if the girl did not get pregnant, I might not even know. So you, you, you get the whole thing. So we, we, that's why the Bible says in Galatians 6 that when we are restoring people, we restore them with meekness. Is that okay? Yeah, that's for those who take that thing to the extreme. Okay, so what's the summary of the church? I'll give you the summary of the church and we close. Number one, the church was proposed by God from eternity. Ephesians 3 verse 10 to 11. The church was proposed... Just write it down. The church was proposed by God for, from eternity. Ephesians 3, 10 to 11. The church was built by Jesus. Matthew 16, 18. The church was built by Jesus. Matthew 16, 18. The church was purchased by the blood of Jesus. The church was purchased by the blood of Jesus. Acts 20, 28. The church is the household or the family over which God is the Father. Ephesians 2, 16 and 19. The church is the household or the family over which God is the Father. Ephesians 2, 16 and 19. And 1 Timothy 3, 15. The church is the body over which Christ is head. The church is the body over which Christ is head. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Ephesians 1, 22, 23. Colossians 1, 18, 24. The church is the kingdom over which Christ rules. The church is the kingdom over which Christ rules. Matthew 16, 18 and 19. 
Matthew 16, 18 and 19, Colossians 1, 13. Last one, all saved people are added by Jesus to the church. All saved people are added by Jesus to the church. Acts 2, 47. Acts 2, 47. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. So I'll run through it again. The church was proposed by God from eternity. Ephesians 3, 10 to 11. The church was built by Jesus. Matthew 16, 18. The church was purchased by Jesus' blood. Acts 20, 28 and Ephesians 5, 23, 25. The church is the household or the family over which God is the Father. Ephesians 5, to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16 and 19, and 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. The church is the body over which Christ is head. Ephesians 1, 23 to 20, 20, 22 to 23. Ephesians 1, 22 to 23. And Colossians 1, 18 to 24. The church is the kingdom over which Christ rules. Matthew 16, 18 and 19. Colossians 1, 13. All saved people are added by Jesus to the church. Acts 2, 47. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Praise God. So, being a member of the church is essentially is getting born again and accepting the Lordship of Jesus. Next Sunday, we're going to continue on, 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 the, on the series of the church. We're going to finish up in three, in three parts, and we hope to be able to cover um, all of this. And then, don't forget, on Wednesday, we'll continue our series on Malachi, and we're going to finish up this month also. Amen. Let's, let's just pray. Father, we thank you. Oh, we give you praise and glory. We honor you for who you are, Jesus. Blessed be your name forever. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would also like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng or call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.